Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Dr. Alan Grant. To my doctor, Ian Malcolm, it's Kevin Garber. <laughs> Kevin, how you doing? Uh, investigatively good. All right. Inve- what, investigatively good. And our very own, Uh-oh. Dennis Nedry. That's right. You didn't say the magic <laughs> word. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? You know, every week, I'm just going to tell you, I'm about to raw dog. I'm about to go raw dog on all of you. This is the most oddly obscure reference you've made. (laughs) Are these the doctors from Jurassic Park? They are the doctors from Jurassic Park. I'm Gold. I went Goldblum. You're Sam Neill. You gave me the. uh, And uh, of course, I I gave Eric Newman. Yep. (laughs) That's that's what I was like. Come on. Although I do use Barbasol, so good call, Nathan. You can be Samuel Jackson if you really want, Eric. You can be Samuel Jackson. Hold on to your butts. These dinosaurs are out of control. Okay, that's gonna blow everyone's ears out. All right, so um, <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna get right into Nathan, it. Nathan, you're the worst. It's a, uh, been a busy best. a busy week in uh, Seahawks news. Uh, basically, uh, Luke Joke. Or uh, sorry, uh, yeah, no, not Luke Jokel. Luke Wilson is gone. Wilson. Um, the only Twitter player, the only Seahawks player to have blocked the Seahawks in this podcast on Twitter. Which gives him one successful block on the season. Ooh, Ooh got him. Yeah. Shots fired. And now you know why. And Ke- then Kevin's walking out of the room. Because uh, three, three, there's three of us that run the Twitter Twitter uh, account, and one of us does not like Luke Wilson very much. <laughs> there's one of us who primarily runs the Twitter account yeah. and really doesn't like Luke Wilson the game, that the much. Ga- I just don't understand how he found it, because I like searched through the Twitter feed. I was like, why did he block us? And that... And the, I couldn't find any time. We never tagged him in a tweet. So he must have searched for his own name on Twitter and then been like, yeah, I'm blocking some of these people that don't like me. Which is very petty. And you know what? Respect, Luke Wilson. I'm petty, too. That's I good. get it. You know, haters going to hate. We just weren't polite enough for his Canadianness. Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't seem super polite from interviews. Like He seems like kind of a jokester, which I like. He's, he's got a good personality. I hope he, I hope he is very successful being uh, a slightly being in South Canada, <clears throat> a slightly worse version of Jimmy Graham, which is what it was redundant to have him and Jimmy Graham on the same roster. Yep. Yeah. He'll have he'll have like two good games. Also, we kept resigning him despite him being a poor fit for what we do on offense. Yeah. It, I don't. It didn't it never made sense to me. He seemed like a good guy though, so maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, Mike Davis is back. Um, so yep. If you wanted sub four yards a carry, he's he's here. Were we kind of worried that he was not going to come back next week? Not really worried, but we were. We were figuring he wasn't back because yeah. you know there's room for changes in the backfield, um, and one has to assume that he is not high on the list of people to keep. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, 68 carries last year for 240 yards, no touchdowns. More impressive to me, 15 receptions for 131 yards. Davis is a good pass-catching running back. I would like to see him kind of shifted into some kind of uh, late down roll as long as Procise is hurt kind of thing. That's that's my ideal role for... So for just Mike a late, round, late down roll then? Yeah, because I'm assuming Procise is hurt, and yeah, Mike Davis seems happen. like very good Procise insurance. I like him better than J.D. McKissick, who I think is just a wide receiver that we masquerade as a running yes. back sometimes. I, I'll say this about Mike Davis, and I feel like a coach that... I feel like John Gruden would say something like this. I really loved the effort that I saw from Mike Davis. Yeah, he, he gives a shit for he sure. Did, yeah. Yeah, this is a guy who's running for his career. I mean, he had some injury issues that uh, kept him from getting off the ground early on. And he managed to find a place he could catch on and make a difference on the roster. So this is a guy, you know, we talked about how Kristen Michael seemed like he was running for his for his career. Mike Davis is running for his career, and he hasn't screwed up as much yet. Yeah. 
he I mean he was not good when he was on San Francisco, but he never really got a chance. So it was nice to see him get a chance, and he did okay, con- especially considering what our offensive line is like. So yeah, I'm excited to see what he's capable of in a um, in a longer term, more defined role, as opposed to just hey, you got to do everything because everyone's hurt. Uh, I also think that he's a better fit for the power run system. Okay, I can. I have no strong opinion on that. So I just know he's good. I just have a strong opinion on him being a pass catcher. I don't think he has exceptional lateral speed. Okay. So I think if you have a more direct route to the carry, he's the kind of back who can handle that well. Um. So then we also signed Marcus Smith one year, two point seven mil. Correct. That's a thing. Agreed. He is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, like he's him. solid. He had two and a half sacks, I think, last year. Yep. Yeah. Brought back. Uh, said he was injured. <laughs> Did he? That's what he said. He said he said he had a torn ligament. Uh, so we brought back. Who else did we bring back? We brought back. Uh, oh, we brought in Tom Tom Johnson and Shamar Steven, both from Minnesota. Uh, both on one year budget deals. They're both pretty cheap deals. Um, I think they're Malik McDowell insurance. If Malik's not ready to go, these guys are going to fill those. Uh, they're going to fill in the defensive tackle rotation, the the, the Malik sized hole that he left in yep. there. Behind Jaron Reed and Naz Jones, who will play, you know, the majority of the snaps. But they like to rotate our defensive line. With Ken Norton coming back, I could see us really leaning into that again. Yeah, which I think is good. Uh, fresh D-tackles out there makes a big difference. What do you um, think if Malik McDowell does play for us this year, do you think he can give a Sheldon Richardson-style production? That is a really high bar. I think so, too. He's also an athletic freak. So I could see him giving us Naz Jones-type production. Okay. I could see him doing better, possibly. Honestly, he's a really big guy, but he's fast enough that I could see him occupying a Michael Bennett-type role, only instead of being a defensive end that plays some D-tackle, he could be a D-tackle who plays some D-end. Makes sense. Um, and then the Seahawks also... There was one other sign, uh, signing thing. Uh, well, uh, we got some more particulars on the Ed Dixon deal. So that's uh, 10.7 million, 3.6 guaranteed. So a nice kind of budgety contract. It was less than Austin Safarian Jenkins got paid. Um, we lost out on a bunch of guys. We didn't get Pryor. We didn't get Nanam Kang Su. We didn't get just a bunch of guys that we were in the mix for. Just ended up not ending up on the Seahawks. And there was an article that came out that said our strategy this year was to just offer people what we thought we would could afford to pay them, and then say you have till this day to sign it. And if you don't, well, good luck wherever you go. Um, Eric, how do you feel about this as like a strategy to use? Uh, you know, I'm not a general manager, so I don't really want to get too opinionated because ah, this sounds really shitty. I don't think we're going to win the Super Bowl this year, okay? And I, as much as I really wanted to see Indomitian Sue here, I don't really know how much he would have improved us over the course of like three years. That That would be a lot of money to lock in. If it's a one-year deal, why? Just so I can get a Sue jersey? Um, losing out on Terrell Pryor was immediately disappointing to me because I felt if you could go to the Jets or the Seahawks, who are you going to go to? Now, obviously, you're going to get more money with the Jets, but come on, it's Seattle. There's it's a proven quarterback, it's proven winners. This it seemed like such a perfect fit. The national news, uh, football wise, was talking about Terrell Pryor being a great fit here. I was genuinely disappointed not getting him, but I don't know if that's our strategy. We are building for the future. We're like we're not doing a complete teardown, but we're definitely reloading. And when you reload, you're not as good. And that is what the Seahawks will be this season. 
I mean, we don't know until the games are played, but we've we've all talked about this. We all think about this. It's going to be, uh, if, to put it uh, pleasantly, it's going to be a really interesting year. Yeah, I think uh, Nate keeps coming back to this point, and I agree with him. It's the return of compete. Yeah. Um, we're going to have a lot of turnover on the roster. This is going to be one of the bigger turnover years in the last little while. There's going to be a lot of chances for people to come in and claim a roster spot. We might start seeing some of the kind of the gutsy stuff that we talked about. You might start seeing some more experimentation with, uh, you know, big nickel type uh, coverage packages, things like that. And also, I kind of like the re-signing strategy or the signing strategy because where maybe it lost us out on a couple guys like maybe prior or something. That's also probably how we got, you know, uh, DJ Fluker on a one-year, one-and-a-half million-dollar deal. Um, there's a decent chance that's how we got Mingo on such a cheap deal. Like, we're only paying Mingo about $3 million. For a guy with pass rush potential in this market, he probably should have gotten a little bit more. But, you know, we have an established defense, an established style. He knew that he was getting himself in a situation where he could get himself some value. He's going to be like 26 or 27. He's going to get an opportunity to start, right? He's going to get an opportunity to actually play. Yeah, and he saw a player in a similar build, similar situation, make himself money. I mean, Bruce Irvin went out and signed a nice big contract. So this is his chance because when this two-year deal is up, He'll be, you know, in his late 20s. He'll have a chance to have, like, another big bite at the apple on, like, a four-year big deal. Also, coming into this defense, he gets to share as opposed to be one of the only guys on the Colts. Very true. I'm really, I'm excited for the Mingo signing. I don't know. I feel like next year, next season, I'm so excited for. And this season, I'm just going to sit back and watch everyone else. It's a reloading year. I, I, I am... This is the kind of year where if our division sucked, we would probably go 10 and 6 and make the playoffs anyway. The team is not untalented. The, the problem is that the, the teams in our division took a huge step forward this offseason. Arizona has a, a real, although fragile, quarterback. Uh, the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers took a huge step forward and continue to take steps forward. And, and St. Louis. The greatest quarterback ever born. <laughs> and St. Louis, obviously, is just like pushing everything in the middle. They're. Their roster is insanely stacked. So good that they almost look like they're playing in Los Angeles. If if the Rams don't go thirteen and three and make the Super Bowl, there's going to be so much disappointment. They have absolutely stacked the deck. I I really hope it crumbles. Like uh, the sh- the Schadenfreude is going to be really good. Yes, yeah, is this the year we get to be super petty? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like the Eagles dream team. Okay. So the other. The other big thing is that the Seahawks have lost a lot of big-name money players like Sheldon Richardson, Jimmy Graham, and, and Paul Richardson without really bringing, with, and bringing in a bunch of budget guys. Uh, so I just wanted to go over really quickly like compensatory calculations. So a lot of people have talked on Twitter about, like, hey, compensatory picks. Well, right now the Seahawks aren't in line to get any compensatory picks because the guys we have signed so far have been almost universally unrestricted free agents, and we have not lost enough guys to get any compensatory picks yet. So if you want to chart at home uh, to root for who to get signed, root for Jokel to get signed, root for Lacey to get signed, Michael Wilhoy, Ode Abushi, Blair Walsh, Byron Maxwell, Terrence Garvin, Dewey McDonald, Garrison Smith, Thomas Rawls, maybe? I guess he could get signed. Uh, those are the guys that the Seahawks have that are not, um, that would help us in compensatory calculations. Not Jeremy Lane. Jeremy Lane, we cut. <laughs> so, so that wouldn't help us. Spike cut. Um, but yeah, those are that's what we need. We need 
um, three to five of those guys to get signed, and then we get fourth round picks next year, which would be nice because right now it was, it's the stuff coming in is not as exciting as the stuff that went out, to say the least. Um, any comment on that? Any comment? That sums it up. I mean, no, I think that sums it up really well. Yeah. We lost Sheldon Richardson, and we have Tom Johnson. Uh, right. I mean, uh, that's a that's a sad. I don't mean there's to be no rude, no one no one would say that's a good trade. Yeah. The other thing is, like, you know, there's going to be some more rumors out there, especially around wide receivers. Like, we're talking about Bryce Butler taking a visit. There's some corners taking a visit. But at this point, if it's not a guy that you'd spend a fourth-round pick on, you probably don't want to sign him if you're Seattle. No, we're pretty much... We're either done in free agency or very close to done in free agency. Or we're looking for people that are getting cut, like especially after the draft and OTAs. People get people getting cut, a cornerback getting cut, Byron Maxwell coming back. Those are the moves I expect to see us make if we make any moves at all. Um, so, yeah, that's... Um, a couple other little things? It. You go for it. I don't have anything else. Okay, so Trevon go. Boykin got cut um, after a domestic violence incident. So those of you that are thinking about our quarterback situation, this just means that my JT Barrett dream is more alive than ever. That's a fact. Yeah, or I mean, Austin Davis could come back. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. If Russell Wilson gets hurt, we're screwed anyway. So. Did uh, <laughs> Kaepernick sign anywhere? No? Nope. That'd be nice. I'd, I'd be into that. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing was there was the ownership meeting and there was a chance for some interviews. Uh, so we got a little bit of a health update. Uh, no update on McDowell, no update on Averill, no update on Cam. But apparently Chris Carson's doing well coming off of his injury. Looks like he'll be back in time for OTAs, which is a good sign. Um, he's on or ahead of schedule. And the other thing that was kind of interesting to me was in a story where they were talking about DJ Fluker, they made the mention that, you know, uh, Postage is putting on some good weight. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, best story, you know, best shape of his life, yeah, all every, that classic. Every season. Dude's up to 322 pounds. This is kind of important because we keep talking about what a Mike Solari offensive line looks like. And a little later on, but before the draft, we're going to dive into that offensive line a little bit more for like a stasis report on it. But at 322 pounds, Posich much more fits a Mike Solari system than he did at 300. And that if it's good weight and good muscle... That actually is a really encouraging sign. Yeah, he likes big guards, big mauling guards, which makes me think that he's really going to be into a Fetty. <laughs> I'm hoping he can teach him how to be a really good NFL guard. I think Solari likes a Fetty. I think he sees something in him that he can coach. We're all going to find that out, if Fetty and Solari included. I think it's undeniable that uh, coaching definitely set back a Fetty's learning curve. I think that's something it kind of that feels we that way, doesn't it? No to. Yes. Um, but the question becomes how much and how much of that can be gotten back. So that's what we'll be finding out this year. All right. And then um, let's go to some uh, NFL slash Seahawks news, which is Michael Bennett uh, was indicted by a grand jury. Apparently after the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl, he ran over an old lady trying to get on the field to celebrate with his brother. Um, An old lady in a wheelchair. Sorry, I should make it more clear. Uh, This story should make it worse. This story is weird. Yes, this story is bizarre, um, and uh, it it was really popular on Twitter uh, because I think people like to trash on Michael Bennett. Uh, well, I don't really care either way. Um, he's turning himself in. I'm sure he'll have to serve some community service or something. He uh, um, he turned himself in today. He posted bail, and his lawyer said 
that Michael Bennett's confused by this because he didn't do it. He he wasn't he wasn't at that entrance. He's basically complete innocence. We'll see. Uh, that's that's a bad idea to, to to go the complete denial strategy in a stadium that has about a billion cameras in it. Yeah, this is if he, that's really what he said. That is a, an all time dumb thing to do. It makes me interested because, like you said, Nathan. I mean, to bring charges. Uh, what a year and a half later? That's that's a big deal. I know the guy, the usher in my section at the Seahawks Stadium, um, which I guess is called a CenturyLink Field. <laughs> but the, he said, I asked him one time. I was like, "How many cameras are in this place?" And he said, "They have a clear camera shot of every seat in the entire stadium." So I would assume that they're going to be able to just look at security footage yeah. of this, and that's why they waited so long, is they wanted to make sure that they had everything buttoned up before they actually went for it. Yeah, which is reasonable. It's not you don't want to you don't challenge a millionaire in a court battle unless you're sure, because he's going to have good lawyers. Yeah, um, Seahawks didn't know before trading him. Uh, Philadelphia didn't know either. He did not tell anyone. So it makes you wonder, though. I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm going Cold War here. We got. We talked about it on this podcast. We got nothing for him. We did not get enough. Less than you expect. Less it's, than I suspected. I believe guess. words on this podcast were. It's almost like we were trying to get rid of him. You said that, Nathan. Yeah, well, it, we were. We definitely were. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if it was because it's, of this or. I don't know. It's interesting to me. My friend in Philadelphia asked if we would take him back, and I said, "You don't take back something you gave away for free." Uh, so, finally. Uh, there, a bunch of guys got signed. Uh, Frank Gore's in Miami. Nadakun Sue is in Los Angeles. Uh, Honey Badger went to Houston. Uh, I'm trying to think. Alan Hearns went to Dallas. Alan Hearns went to Dallas. That's a really interesting pickup. A lot of people them. think that Des Bryant's going to get cut now because they don't have any cap room. Uh, they won't have they won't have cap round to sign their draft picks if they don't cut someone. Well, so. if he gets cut, we could sign him and it wouldn't count against it. Just yes, saying. I would be in, give him a. I would be for it. And give him a contract. Say this is what you're getting. Still yep, lots of it. still lots of running backs available. Actually, that I think are interesting on for in free agency. Orleans Darkwa watch continues. Yeah, Orleans Darkwa, <laughs> Terrence West, uh, Alfred Morris, Demarco Murray. Like all these guys are just still just hanging out. I don't get it. I it makes me believe that the Seahawks are really into Chris Carson as our number one back. But what about I think Chris it? Carson has a lot of skills, and I understand why because his injury history is not bad. What about Bishop Sankey, guys? What about him? That was that was that was it. I just got to bring it up every week till he gets signed. Can we start calling the segment Dark Watch? Mm, no. Okay, just checking. But Orleans Dark Watch, yes. Um, <laughs> so, want to hear another cool stat from last week about a former Seahawk that we gave up for too little money and makes me sad every time I think about it. Golden yeah. Tate has 116 missed tackles on receptions, which is the most among wide receivers by like almost 40. Uh, Antonio Brown is second most with 77. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. So Golden Tate still elusive, still good. Yeah, he would have been a good resigning. Um, yep. He's we have man. basically been trying to replace him since he left. Yeah, it, we should have got rid of Percy Harvin. Like, there's no way that that was a good choice. How about that? Yep. Okay. Uh, all right. So the other thing that comes <laughs> out of the, the other thing that comes out of the offseason meetings. So, but yeah, we should have kept Steve Hutchinson too. Um, while we were at it, we couldn't. That poison pill, dog. I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so couple of things to come out of the ownership meeting, some things that um, have passed. So uh, the officials in New York can now eject players even if the uh, penalty was missed on the field. I did not know if it's a serious penalty. Another thing, that is the – we'll call that the Gronkowski rule. Yeah. Another, another thing, too, is that um, the uh, 
it doesn't matter who lowers their helmet. If you lower your helmet to go helmet to helmet, uh, you can get ejected from the game now. Yeah, any hit with the crown of a helmet is also now 15 yards, period. And it's and it can lead to an ejection if it, they feel like it was intentional. Yep. Um, and it's offense and defense. So if like an offensive player lowers his head to like go into a, a pile or something, you can get kicked out. No. It's going to be interesting at the times where the penalty is wrongly called. Yeah, we'll see how this ends up being enforced, especially against offensive players. I think it'll be interesting to watch. Um, and then the other one is passing 32 to nothing is the, new, is the alteration to the catch rule, which basically takes one thing out of it. So you still have to control the ball. You still have to be establish yourself in bounds. You still have to make a football move. A football move, yeah. Which is either a third step or a lunge is examples of what's being classified. But what they removed was the maintain to ground in order to basically get rid of the part that kept being controversial. So I think all this does is clarify to officials the way that they need to enforce the rule. I don't think it really changes the rule in any significant way. Hmm. Uh, the weird thing about the catch rule is that they like they, they changed it, but they made it so that you could still make all the same arguments that you could before, right? Like they're still it's still intention uh, it's still intentionally somewhat vague. The only thing is it eliminated a scenario where the ground causing a fumble makes it a non catch. Right, that that reach over the goal line thing is gone. The if reach you, over the goal line, but also like the reach for the first down, hand hits the ground and the ball comes out after the player's down, that's now safe too. Yeah. So it, I think it got rid of some of the most controversial versions, but it's still roughly the same rule. But I think we also already agreed the rule wasn't really a problem. It was the way it was being enforced. I was going to say interpreted, right? Yeah. There were there were things like how is that a, in a playoff game. Last week, why was that not a catch? And this week, it is a catch. Um, that's it, right? Yeah. Miami Dolphins signed Brock Osweiler. Johnny Manziel threw at a pro day. I just wanted to meme a little bit. Those are my memes. Uh, Johnny Manziel threw at Texas A&M's pro day, and people said they looked. He looked pretty good, and I'm like, dude, come on. Uh, going back to Brock Osweiler, why did Miami sign him? Why not? Because he, he's six foot seven. He looks. He looks kind of like Ryan answer. Tannehill if you squint a little bit. Uh, okay, fair enough. All right, he looks like Peyton Manning ate Ryan Tannehill. Let's talk a little bit about the Seahawks roster really quick. Um, I just want to give you go over some position groups with you guys, and then um, I want to get your general feeling about like is this an area? Where, where's our biggest area of need? Okay, so let's start at wide receiver, guys. We got we have eight wide receivers on our roster. You ready? No, it's nine. You ready? Yep. Baldwin. Oh, we're gonna do offense this week and defense next week. You okay with that? It sounds yes. like a plan. Okay. Yeah. Baldwin, Johnson, Lockett. McAvoy. Oh, we only have eight. I lied. Jaron Brown, David Moore, Amara Darbo, Cyril Grayson. So what do you think about our wide receivers right now? And do you think this is a position of, of need going into the draft? Uh, need in, in def- definition of like what pick do we want to spend? Right now we have a first, a fourth, a fifth, and everything else. A bunch of fifths. Yeah, a bunch of fifths. <laughs> but we don't have a second and a third. No. So if we let's just say we had... Uh, two seconds. We didn't have a first. Two seconds, third, two fourths, two fifths, and a seventh. I'd be like, yeah, I'd love to see the third round pick be a wide receiver or one of the high fourth or something like that. One that got away. But with having a first and a fourth and everything else, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, I can leave it to our own uh, Seahawks Nest draft guru, Mr. Kevin Garber, to tell me, hey, man, 
this guy who gives you you know 80% of what Paul Richardson gave you is going to be available in the 5th I'd be like yeah okay then I want to spend that pick but I don't want to stretch in this draft for a receiver with what we have with what you listed I think there will be growth I've already talked about what this year is going to be for the Seahawks what I think it's going to be uh, what I'm pretty sure it's going to be I don't want to stretch for a receiver in this draft. So so 1-1 one, one personnel is really popular in the NFL right now, which means three of these guys are going to be on the field at all times. For In 67% of the Seahawks plays last year, we had 1-1 one, one personnel, which means we had one running back and one tight end. So for me, um, yeah, that means that Lockett, Baldwin, and Jaron Brown are going to play a lot. And maybe, maybe Darbo. And maybe Darbo. If, if Darbo develops, he could probably take Jaron Brown's spot. If that's the case, I don't think it's an extreme need, but it's definitely not a position of strength is, I guess, where I would put it. What do you think, Kev? I would tend to agree. I think this is a really interesting draft in that it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure at wide receiver. Um, The wide receiver role in college is getting more specialized, um, which is you're seeing in the NFL now, too. So When when you say more specialized, do you mean more specialized towards college ball or towards like leaning into learning how the pros do it i think it's more one of those um receivers are being melded to a role so you think about like your catch and run guys you think about your slot guys you think about your outside receivers so do you want like a six three jump ball at the sticks guy do you want a um you know five ten speedy outside guy do you think the seahawks feel like they got their jump at the sticks guy with jaron brown I think that Jaron Brown is their safety net there. He pre- he represents a floor. Like you know that you're going to get some well, that's, uh, Jermaine Kerr's production out of Jaron Brown. Do you like, think that's, that's, that's the guaranteed? What the Seahawks think or what you think? Because I think the Seahawks might believe in him a little more, meaning more than the floor. I mean, I can't say for sure what their scouts say, but I have not seen anything on tape or in person or on stats to incline me to believe otherwise. We signed a solid player at that spot. Uh, There's no reason to believe the upside's incredible. So I think what they really are doing is they're hoping Darbo steps up. I think that's more what they're making on. They just need someone to play left wide receiver so that Lockett will play right wide receiver and then but Doug will play in the slot. That's, Doug will be our number one receiver in the slot. Yeah, I mean that's that's their that's their ideal configuration, I think. I mean they played Tyler Lockett at right wide receiver for almost every snap he played last year. Um I, I would call Tyler Lockett's season a little bit of a disappointment. I mean only forty five catches for five hundred and fifty five yards. But he moved the sticks quite a bit. His first down percentage was good. And yeah. it took him a while to get going. A, only 188 yards after catch. Like I, I felt like it was a. It wasn't a big step forward, and his best year still is rookie year, right? To what 2015? Yeah. 50, with the 55 catches for 774 yards. Pro Bowl. Yeah, I think the other thing to consider though is I felt like our offense when it came to Lockett was consistently giving him the ball in places where he couldn't really make a play afterwards. For a guy who's like our big kick returner, we didn't get we didn't do a good job of giving him the ball in space. We should be trying to figure out how to use him like we use Golden Tate, I feel like. Yes. And maybe we didn't have confidence in him coming back off the injury. Maybe he didn't have confidence in his leg, you know, coming back off the injury. That's always tough. But if we can get a guy like Byron Pringle or something in the fifth round, which there's a good chance we could, maybe we get uh, Taekwon Smith 
or somebody like that. And we'll talk about it when we get to draft time. But there's a lot of those guys that could play that outside receiver, could be very complimentary to lock it in that way and keep our position flexibility. Because there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, if Lockett bumps into the slot and we have to rotate Baldwin out to get him on isolated coverage, we can do that. Like, because uh, the because Baldwin could play anywhere. Lockett could play anywhere. So that is an advantage we have right now in our personnel. And it's going to be interesting to see how our new offensive coordinator handles all this. Agreed. I keep, I mean, I, I don't forget it, but when we talk about this, I'm like, oh, yeah, new schemes, too. Yeah. All right. So um, wide receiver, I think we our consensus is that it's okay, but not great. Um, Doug's awesome. Lock it. it may, maybe he can make the jump. And then we kind of have a big question mark at the uh, at the left wide receiver position. Yeah, if Darbo cannot overtake what I anticipate Brown doing, then I would be very, very okay with us spending something on that. I feel like they're hiding Darbo, or Darbo is hiding something. I, I feel like he's going to step into a role in training camp. Well, hopefully it's the ability to make a play on the ball, because that's what was lacking. <laughs> Hopefully it's that he doesn't drop anything. He can play the game. Uh, well, it's one of those things. He kept making catches, but he could not both make a really good catch and like land in bounds. Or decision make. Yeah. He made some really good catches that were out of bounds and missed some catches that would have been really cool. Like He was almost what you wanted to see, but he just couldn't seem to put it together. And he did get a lot of targets. By the way, um, just for pe- so people understand, like I, I just want to make... People uh, often ask me, like, oh, well, you say he plays in the slot a lot. How often does Doug Baldwin play in the slot? Last year, Doug Baldwin ran four, 543 routes, and he ran 397 out of, of them out of the slot, 73.1%. Um, and there are lots of good wide receivers that play out of the slot that much. Brandon Coleman in New Orleans runs out of the slot about 65% of the time. Jarvis Landry, 65% of the time. Juju Smith-Suster is in the slot 58% of the time. Larry Fitzgerald, 62%. Adam Thielen was in the slot more than half the time. Like it's not a it's not a slam on Doug to say he plays on the slot a lot. It's just that's that is where he can really exploit matchups with his technical route running ability. Yeah, yeah. you put a tight end or a slower safety on him, and they're screwed. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that he was also, according to PFF, the best, the most productive receiver on two different types of slot of uh, common slot catches. On uh, and so it's just one of those things. He just he's extremely productive there. Yeah, and he only I mean he was in the slot. Like I said, three hundred ninety-seven snaps. He had one drop. So I mean, yeah, that says a lot about about Doug. I think. Where are you um, going to next, tight end? Uh, so now our tight ends. Uh, we've got three tight ends rostered for next year: Nick Vanette, Ed Dixon, and Tyrone Swoops. I think that this position is done and dusted. They want Vanette to be the starter, and Dixon is the insurance policy. That's my opinion on that. What do you guys think? He said three tight ends, and I was like, Dixon, Vanette, who's the third? I oh, forget about Swoops. Converted quarterback. Yeah, Swoops yeah. is like a Swoop. fantastic athlete. Swoop. Honestly, I'm Swoop. with Nathan here. It's fine. Uh, I'm really interested to see what Vanette can do and about our whole uh, – the the two tight ends being used frequently by our new offensive coordinator. That should be interesting. Uh, I would be really intrigued again if we can pick up a guy that's like a blocking tight end in the seventh, or if we can get like Durham Smythe in the fifth or something like that out of uh, Notre Dame. That'd be really cool. Challenge swoops for that last roster spot. Uh, Take that last roster spot and really be more of like a primary blocker, secondary receiver guy, because I feel like both Dixon and Vanette are functional blockers. I don't know, but but I think the team thinks Vanette is a really good blocker. I think the team has a lot of faith in him blocking. I I would say he's been our best blocking tight end. 
for on our team. He's an he was a good effort blocker in college. Like he tried really hard. And he's big enough and makes enough of a play there. Like like he doesn't block himself a lot. Like I was gonna other say he doesn't tight ends we've he had. doesn't block himself out of the play. Yeah. But I uh, That's that's a lot. That's a lot for Seahawks tight ends recently. But I could see us maybe spending one of those later picks on something like that, and that wouldn't be disappointing to me. That would be fine. But you don't want to dip back into free agency for it. You're done. No, You're good. no. Because I think Swoops is has a lot of upside. He's a very athletic kid, like you said. All right, quarterback Russell Wilson, no backup right now. Uh it's like I think it's likely we bring Austin Davis back or we bring in one of these uh these guys that just hasn't has hasn't found a spot yet. Uh I'm not gonna we're not gonna talk anymore about that. Running backs. Mike Davis, Chris Carson, CJ Procise, Trey Madden, and JD McKissick. Also, Jolson Fowler's on the team as a fullback, but I don't think we're going to carry a fullback into the regular season. Uh, like I said before, we, we lined up in 1 1 personnel three two thirds of the time. I think it'd be a huge waste of a roster spot to bring in a fullback. Schottenheimer seems to like fullbacks, but it's also been a little while, so yeah. so we'll I, see. I suspect that we won't have one, but we'll. I guess we'll see. Of these running backs, uh, do we do we need more? Do you have faith in these guys? This is a this is a uh, an interesting and strange position group to say the least. Uh, Carson's a seventh round pick. Procise is the high round pick, but he's always hurt. Effective though. Uh, JD McKissick uh, converted wide receiver. Mike Davis the uh, cast off from San Francisco, who you know, like Eric said, tries really hard. And then Trey Madden uh, is Pete's USC boy, right? So, what do you guys think of this of these guys? I think that we're going to end up, uh, what do you say, probably rostering five? If That's how many we have now, five, unless, unless you include Fowler. It's going to be either four or five. And so I, I think McKissick's probably the most endangered out of all of them, um, outside of Madden. And so the question becomes, I think it's going to be one of those things where uh, Pete and John will go into the draft with a list of guys. And be like, okay, if these guys are here, we'll take them. Otherwise, no. And so it's going to be one of those situations. And the Seahawks are really particular about the type of running back they take. So I actually think I could narrow it down to a pretty specific list by the time we get to the draft. That's going to be another one that we can cover pretty in depth. But I would not be shocked at all if we spend either our fourth or a fifth round pick on a running back. Right. That's the thing is, is that we're not spending the first round pick on a running back. I would be very surprised. We're not stupid. Unless (laughs) Unless we trade that first round pick back, and maybe at the end of the first, beginning of the second, if we can get a second or a third picked up. So, like, if we could trade a first for two seconds, or if we trade it for a, um, a late first and a third, then I could see maybe spending one of those on a running back because there are some, like, there's some stud running backs. And I'd love to spend, like, a third on Royce Freeman. We've talked about this to death. There are a few of those guys where you're like, man, this is a bell cow back. What if a guy slips in the first one who should be top 10 to us, or if. Nope. The, That's the just run Saquon happens. Barkley. Okay. Saquon Barkley is the guy. And if the run happens earlier than that, then I think we go, if, okay, then we're getting a more talented player at 18 than we should have because the running backs went early. If Saquon Barkley's there at the end of the – when we pick, I, it's not one, gonna it, happen. It would not, it's not going to happen. But two, I don't think the team would pick him anyway, uh, to I, be honest. I think it's – I think really, it would just because of best player available. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's interesting that – our running back core is like Kevin said. Outside of a, a draft that we get someone we really like, it's it's done. I mean, with the run on running backs that were free agents going for pretty damn cheap, and we didn't pounce on any of them. I don't get it. I'm not managing this team. We're not going to get anyone else. Like I think it's- Alfred Morris is not going to be here. I don't think Orleans Darkwa. I'm sorry, Kevin. 
I, he's not going to be here. I think it's. I think they're done outside of the draft. Here's my thing: is that we can see from like last year's draft that teams are not very good at evaluating running backs. Because um, if they were, Kareem Hunt would have got picked before before uh, Legarrette. Or I'm sorry, not Legarrette. Le, Le, uh, Leonard Fournette. Man, my my words, guys. That's I'm the really, other thing is Kareem like, Hunt and Leonard Fournette had almost the same season. Right, but Kareem Kareem Hunt went to Toledo and they got picked 86th. And that's the thing is you and then there's other running backs that went late in last year's draft too. Uh, the guy that's in Alvin New Orleans, Kamara Alvin went Kamara. in the second round, yeah. right? And so you you just have these guys like we can we can tell definitively NFL teams aren't great at evaluating which running backs are going to make it at the next level, and you can get value out of a second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round running back. And the Seahawks, to be honest, have blown a lot of middle round picks on running backs that haven't turned out to do much of anything or uh, got sent to Baltimore. Christian Michael, Pro, CJ Procise, um, Alex Collins. Um, one more. Uh, whatever. Anyway, we've blown a lot of second, third, fourth, fifth round picks on these guys, and and none of them have really panned out super great for us. It'd be nice to see Spencer one- Ware. I really wish. I really wish Procise could get healthy because when he's on the field, he's pretty great. That guy's explosive. <laughs> he's explosive in a way that none of our other running backs are. But you, like you said, you got to wonder how much is left because his ligaments are apparently made of silly putty. Yeah, he was a unique talent for sure. All his bones are made of graham crackers, I think, is the problem. Um, okay, so uh, that leaves us with the offensive line, the fabled Seahawks offensive line. Right now we have seven guys I would consider tackles, just two guards and three centers. Although you're gonna, we're going to talk about this in a second. Some of these guys might end up at different positions. So tackles, let's start with tackles. Dwayne Brown, George Fant. Uh, Jermaine Effetti, Tyrus Thompson, Riso Diambo, Isaiah Battle, and Willie Beavers. Okay, some of these guys you've heard of, some of these guys you've not. Um, Kevin, start with you. Which, what, who are our two starting tackles? Week one, 2018. Dwayne Brown, George Fant. I like it. I'm actually super into Hmm. it. That's what I think too. I Uh, think Solari likes an athletic tackle and a mauling guard. And Fant is really athletic. And, you know, there was a lot to like. And then, you know, he tore his ACL and everyone forgot about him. I think he could quietly be like be like the player that we were hoping to add. I think DJ Fluker, even though I'm going to talk to him about, about him in the guards, I think DJ Fluker is the George Fant insurance. And that Effetti is a guard from day one of, of the Solari era. That George Fant is our, like, official... Uh, starting right tackle at first and that the guy who's there to challenge him is Fluker who started his career as a tackle and then ended up at guard um, so then uh, Odiambo let's talk about him for a second we spent a third round pick in 2016 on Reese Odiambo he hasn't uh, seen he seems to de- be okay right he develops he he has like one bonehead play a season that really like makes you your soul hurt but he has a bunch of solid plays in between that uh like when he stepped on Russ's ankle is what I'm talking yes. about. Yeah. Uh, so, Reese Odiambo, does he make the roster as a swing tackle here, or is, is our time with him coming to an end? I, I feel like Odiambo has a place on this team. I mean, the one thing that I think he lacks, you made the joke about boneheaded plays, but he lacks consistency. I remember last year we'd talk about, like, hey, this, this guy's actually turning into something, and then you have two games where it's like, I want him off this line. I feel like we've invested too much time with the the production we've seen from him to say like it's coming to a close i mean i don't know to be sure but we have a new offensive line coach it's it could be what we've talked about with uh you know coaching uh with 
Jermaine Effetti, maybe Odiombo is going to get better coaching too, and it will right some of those wrongs, and he'll be more consistent. I'm really excited for the young players we have here on the line to actually show some growth for once, as opposed to, you know, two years from now, they're kind of growing, and then they get injured. I think Riso Odiombo has more physical talent than any of the other guys you mentioned in tackle, outside of the people that could start. Outside so, of the uh, Fetty Fluker, Fant, Brown. He's right. like the next best guy. He's the next best guy. And I feel like in Fetty and Fluker, you probably just named our two starting guards. Um, if Postage doesn't take it. So that tells me that Odiombo is going to make it just because he can play both tackles and not embarrass himself. You know, And so as a swing tackle, I think he's a pretty solid player. I, he's not a bad guy to have on your roster. He can go out there and play right tackle or left tackle in a pinch. That's my and you thing. can run a functioning offense. That's my thing about Odiambo. I think you're kind of hitting on it, Kevin, is that he can play like every position okay, but none of them really good. Which is a great backup and not a great start. I really wish they would just let him focus on like, hey, you're a left guard now or you're a right tackle and you're going to be a right tackle and we're going to make you the best right tackle you can be. Because there seems to be something there from play to play. Like I watch him and I think like there, this guy could be really good, but he just seems lost sometimes and he makes a lot of mistakes because he's getting moved all over the place. But Nathan, isn't it valuable to have that guy at a swing position in a group of guys that you know always have injuries? I guess. I mean, I I figure you need that player on the offensive line. And Not we, when we needed a starter. We I, needed a starter two years in a row, and we didn't let him. But do we now? That's the thing. Right. And I mean, it's, it depends I, on what I you think of right you, tackle. Kevin, it's, it's almost, it's not heartbreaking, but it's, it's a damn shame. If he's your second favorite right tackle candidate, then yes. Okay. But if he's not, then I do think the versatility is beneficial. Yeah. Um, are the only two guys listed as guard on the depth chart are Bruce and Fluker. Uh, I'm sure that will change because postage, postage listed as center. Oh, that's not good. Um, but that, I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm sure that will change as we get closer to that actual season start. I think Afedi and Postage are both going to end up competing for jobs at guard. So between and Postage might maybe he's competing at center. Maybe Britt is going to get kicked over to guard. I'm not sure, but between Roos, Postage, Fluker, Afedi, and um, maybe even Odiambo, is that a good enough guard combination that we can put together a functional offensive line? It depends on how stunted you think Afedi's development is and how much you think this change in scheme benefits him. Considering that penalties and boneheaded missed plays are the two things that kill him, I could see a simplified system that's more heads-up blocking being a situation where he can cut back on those. The so, thing about Fetty is, man, he's such a lunger. Like, I know you watch scouting tape like I do, so, like, he lunges so badly. And he then, gets his upper body over his knees and his toes, yeah. and he's off balance from the start. It's not a good way to I start. I just don't understand, like, technique-wise. Like, he he wasn't like as much like that. In college, he did it time to time, but now it's like he's so embedded in these, like, really bad habits, and I don't know what happened that reinforced it, but... I mean, we saw last year 19 penalties, first in the NFL by five. Like, he he had a shitload of penalties because he was just – he's always lunging. He's always off balance. He's always going early to try to make up for the fact that he's going to be off balance. I just don't understand what happened in his development that, that made him – he got worse every year. It's really bad technique, yeah. It, just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's, it's hard to watch. That's got to be coaching. I – I'm so excited for Solari to come on board. I know he's a coach that's been here before, but it's a new group of guys. It's a different zone blocking scheme. 
I don't know what it is. I could just be high or something, but I'm really high on this offensive line. I'm for whatever reason, I'm not too worried about it. I'll be honest. I'm I'm in a similar mode. I think if we roll out there with like Brown, Fluker, Afedi, Britt, and uh, Fant, and that's our day one offensive line, and they've all competed for jobs and played good. That could in be the a middle of the road offensive line, right? Man, we could be know, the fifteenth best offensive line, and I'm totally okay with that at this point in my life. Uh, Dwayne Brown is going to make our offensive line a lot better, and we didn't get to see the full potential of Brown being on our line Mm -hmm. because he came in in the middle of the season. To be honest, he got worse every game he played under Cable. Yep. And and there were multiple times when I'm watching tape, because I've been trying to rewatch all the games, where Brown will just, like, the play will go off and he'll just be pissed. He looks so mad after the play starts. And I don't know if he's mad because he doesn't know what to do. Some other guy's not doing their job. Like, he looks really frustrated out there. And I think that's going to end this year. The offense is going to run a lot better because I think they're going to get back to basics a little bit. They're going to run the they're gonna run 1-1 personnel, but they're going to go, hey, let's do a, a, a power option run followed by, you know, a, an interesting pass play. You know, it's going to be in a play action and stuff. There's going to be more flow and consistency. Right. It's gonna, There's going to be less throwing spaghetti to the wall. Well, and with... A 15th in the league offensive line. That's a huge upgrade for us. But with what we have in this culture, I think that will give us a swagger. That could bump us up to 10th. I think that's possible, and I'm not just drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, the other thing to consider is there was a stretch after we picked up Brown and before the end-of-season collapse where we actually had a middle-of-the-pack offensive line. If you look statistically, pressure numbers and everything, our offensive line was like a pretty dead-up middle-of-the-road offensive line. So we know that the talent level can get there. I think that's the big thing that people need to keep in mind. We are not talent poor. We are not resource poor on our offensive line. We are coaching poor. We are production poor. That's a big difference. Yeah. I would... I wouldn't be surprised if we spent uh, the first round pick on an offensive lineman. Oh, especially if someone slides. If we can but, get McGlinchey there, or if we can get Connor Williams, or if we can trade back and still get Isaiah Wynn or Hernandez, but I, I think there's a good chance. I think there's a good chance we, Kevin, I, what you said, we trade back, we pick whoever's left over, Will Hernandez, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Wynn. I think Wynn's much more likely than Hernandez for something we'll talk about. Um, but... I don't know, man. I've seen all those guys all over the place on draft boards. Really, the only guy that's for sure is uh, is Nelson. Nelson. Yeah, because Nelson's and all as the, surefire as it gets. All the other offensive linemen, they're they're all in different spots in every mock I look at too. And well, I and, and I'd I watched, like to pick them up in the second round just because I think there's not any dominant talent. There's going to be some well, Quint, reaching. Quentin Nelson. Aside from Quentin Nelson, yeah. Quentin Nelson. The thing that's exciting about watching his tape is that when Quentin Nelson get if, and I'm hoping the Seahawks end up with him. By the way, this is my dream. Oh my gosh, okay? I would love it. So it's not going to happen. My, Quentin Nelson thing is that when you watch him pull or get out in space, he just he'll push up and he'll push guys like 10, 15 yards downfield that are on, it's Notre Dame's schedule, man. Notre Dame doesn't play any trash teams. Like they play a tough schedule up and down. It's one of the things, you know, I hate the independent thing, but I respect them because they don't use it as an excuse to to make a cupcake schedule. Yep. They play 10, 11 tough games every year. Yeah, their easy games are against the service academies and those are decent teams. Yeah, and those teams are like borderline bowl teams. So, I, I don't know, I got I like I like uh Notre Dame and I like that I like Quentin Nelson, I think. You know, here's the thing, though. If you like watching him pull and dominate, then go watch yourself some Isaiah Wynn tape because that guy does the exact same thing. He's a little bit smaller, so people are saying that he's more of a zone guy. 
I don't think so. I think if you watch, it's a guy that wins with power. My thing about Win is is that, uh, yeah, like is he is he attack? Well, one is he a tackle or a guard, and two, if he's a tackle, I don't think he's that good. So that's that's my problem is that like he has a less defined position than most of these other guys, and then he 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 could be a really really good guard. I feel though. like he's Forrest Lamp two point oh. I th- I would rather have Hernandez or Nelson before before win though for guards as long as well, I'd rather have Nelson before literally any other offensive lineman. So that's not even a thing. I watched that guy. He got double teamed by two defensive linemen, and it made him mad. So on the next play, he beat the other defensive lineman with the first defensive lineman. Yeah, he pushed him. He into literally each other. grabbed him, threw him into the other guy, and then just like laid on them for a while yeah. just to make sure they remembered it. This guy's got nasty for yeah, days. He's pretty awesome. All right, so. Uh, let's go ahead and that's it for NF, uh, our NFL Seahawks and a little offensive roster breakdown there. Uh, we're just trying to get our heads around where are the Seahawks heading, heading into the draft. Now, here's the money zone. If you'd like to support the Seahawks Nest podcast, there's lots of ways you can do it. First, you can open up your heart and wallet to head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Um, at patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest, you can find our uh, supporter levels. Uh, we'll, we mail stickers and other janky stuff like that. But mostly, our big thing is that we... Uh, we put up picks podcast during the regular season where we pick every game. Uh, last year we did really good. We were like way better than the experts. I'm not gonna say that we'll continue. I'm not even gonna pretend like that. But we had a really good season uh, with our picks last year. Uh, right now we have 13 people helping us out. Uh, so thank you uh, all to all of our uh, loyal patrons. Um, Kevin's also gonna put up his draft reviews um, on there. And if you want to read like. You know, expert takes on what Kevin thinks of each player that we drafted. That's where you're going to find it. We'll also have some video breakdowns for players that are drafted. Nate's going to take a look at some of our free agents and scheme things too. Yeah, I'm trying to figure. I'm trying to figure out DJ Fluker, man. That was that's my project right now. I've been watching a lot because I my thing is 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 he a tackle or is he a guard? Like I think looking at his early career tape in San Diego, like he was a pretty decent tackle. I don't know what I don't know. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that some other time. Okay. Uh, also, if you're if you're broke like me and you just can't afford anything because your house has a million dollars worth of repairs like me, so you can you can, you can go over to twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest and throw us a follow. You can go over to facebook.com slash the Seahawks Nest and hit, hit, give us a like. Although I would not blame you for not touching Facebook with a 10-foot pole at this point. Apparently, they are watching your every move. And then finally... <clears throat> You can head over to your favorite podcast app, whether that's Stitcher, the Google Play Store, uh, iTunes, uh, whatever, whatever you find your, wherever you find your podcast, and give us the old five star review. Thank you to the twenty plus people of you who've done that already on iTunes. It helps more than you can imagine. We are now the second podcast when you search Seahawks on iTunes, and it's because of those reviews. Thanks, guys. So. Uh, heading into the movie zone now, we have ten minutes left, uh, and this week uh, Steven Spielberg brings out. Uh, Nerdgasm Ready Player One with uh, more references than you can count. So, in honor of Steven Spielberg, I thought it'd be fun if we did a Spielberg uh, breakdown. Okay. Um, there is no st- more, no steadier hand in Hollywood. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to I'm just going to read off the hits. Okay, I'm going to read off the hits, and you're just going to tell me it's going to be a long sp- list. Nathan. Your Spielberg, and yeah, it's there's some good movies in here. You're going to tell me your Spielberg favorite, your Spielberg most underrated. And then, and then your uh, Spielberg. Uh, so your Spielberg favorite, Spielberg most underrated. Those are your two. Okay, you ready? We're doing uh, just director, right? Not any producer Correct. credits because that gets it. too long. Not written. 
not written. We're not going to do uh, Poltergeist. We're not going to do uh, Goonies, right? He just writ- wrote and not directed the Goonies. Oh, uh, we're not going to do travesty. Uh, we're not going to do American Tyvel Fightable Ghost Wests, which he produced. <laughs> <laughs> well, or, then I'm out. Or Super Eight. Okay, so he also produced that, which I thought that movie. I think that movie's pretty underrated. All right, here we go. So I'm going to just read a, a sampling. You guys can look at his IMDb page if you want to uh, get everything. Uh, here we go. Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and all other Indiana Jones movies. Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, Amistad, AI and Intelli- Artificial Intelligence, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich, The, uh, the Adventures of Tintin, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The Post, and the BFG. What do you, what do you guys think? What is your favorite Spielberg movie? Let's start with that. You want me to start? Going yep. To you start with the favorite, and then we'll go back the opposite order. All right. My favorite Spielberg movie is Catch Me If You Can. Uh, Catch Me If You Can is an expertly crafted movie that stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. Um, it is about two hours long, and I don't want to spoil anything. So you think you should just watch it? It uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not joking. Like I think this movie is like really, really good. It would, also might be my favorite DiCaprio movie, and I actually think Hank shows a lot of variety in this. Yeah, Hank's is really good. I, the thing about this movie is I can't, I wanted to call it the most underrated, but it made $352 million in the box office, so it's hard to call a movie that made that much money underrated. But it's been kind of forgotten since, unfortunately. Yeah, so that's my... Um, that's my uh, well, you'll get this joke later when I tell you my most underrated movie, because that, that was kind of a setup. Uh, all right, so Eric, what is your favorite Spielberg's? You know, I feel like anything we say here, uh, you you had a really interesting choice because I don't think anyone else would have that on their list. But uh, for me, I'm going to go Saving Private Ryan. Great movie. Out of all the war movies, and there's a war movie for every war movie. I mean, there's just so many. This was done so well in the in the sense of costumes, uh, mapping the terrain. That's not even getting to the story. Uh, the story had... It was an interesting plotline, let's be honest. It was like this obscure rule that a lot of people didn't know about. And, you know, once, uh, you know, if siblings die in battle, they, they would go in and, and fish out the, the remaining kid. So the, the parents at home, the mothers, uh, you know, would, wouldn't lose their entire family in these wars. And that's something I didn't know about until I saw the movie. And I love the heart. There's so much in this. And it reminded me why I love Tom Hanks so much. Don't forget, it's got Max Martini in it too. It's got Vin uh, Diesel and Ted Danson in it. An- another thing about I like about Saving Private Ryan, Eric, to uh, to piggyback on it is it's the victim of the biggest uh, Academy Award Best Picture nominee, yeah. uh, or sorry, uh, winner robbery of all time, when Shakespeare in Love beat it for for it's Best a Picture. Joke. Absolutely when Shakespeare ridiculous. in Love is, I think, our first eliminated movie in our uh, <laughs> in our. Best it's picture. not as bad as everyone makes it out no, to be. No, it's fine, but, but it got way too much love. But the thing that, that the fact that it won Best Picture is a is kind of a joke. Kevin, your favorite Spielberg? Uh, really quickly though, my little piece on Saving Private Ryan that I think puts that movie over the top, and it's something that Spielberg's known to do. That man frames a scene really well. Yes, he does. And there are so many like beautifully tight wonderful scenes where like you can watch it two or three times and there's something extra going on every time yeah i gotta go with one that has to be near the top of many people's list and that's raiders ah raiders of the lost ark is almost just there, Kevin. 
an exceptional movie. Now, I'd like to say I do own all three of the movies that we talked about and do watch them with some regularity. I enjoy all of them quite a bit. Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of my all-time favorite movies. All right. I like it. You don't need to... There's no way to spoil it because um, everyone's seen it. But yep. uh, it's it's good. I watched it recently. It's It was... It wasn't as good as I remember when I was a kid. And maybe some of the nostalgia wore off. I think it's just now I'm desensitized. The action seems so slow compared to like something like John Wick or like all the hard-hitting movies that we well, have Well, because it predates the Hong Kong action movement right. that forced America to modernize. So for an old-school action movie... You know, I like that they blended a little bit of comedy. It's funny. That's the best thing about it. You're right. And it, Yeah, the levity in the movie is what makes it really work. Yeah. Everything Marvel tries to do, those Indiana Jones movies invented. It's just that it's pulp to the T. Okay, let me let me shout out a movie that we didn't mention, but I think it's like actually the best movie on this list. I don't think it's just one that we would any of us would think of as the best. Schindler's List is the best movie that... that it's the that, best movie that you only watch made. once ever. Uh, yeah. My favorite Schindler's oh, List God. quote is that John Williams uh, is the composer for that movie. and I, So Spielberg showed him the movie without the music and he was like amazed. He's like, this is the best movie I've ever seen and it's too hard. Like You need a better composing composer than I am for this film. And Spielberg looked at him, I know, but they're all dead. <laughs> like, like. Sorry, dude. Schindler, we tried to get Mozart, but you're what's left, John Williams. Sh- Schindler's List is legit. Like, it's the, it's so good. Uh, Liam Neeson as Oscar Schindler. It's like an all-time performance. Uh, that movie is power incarnate. Yeah, there's. The, I don't know. It's just so, 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 so good. Ralph I just Fine, can't bring Ralph it up Fine because it makes really, me so sad. Ralph Fine is really good in that movie too. I could not list it as my favorite movie because that movie makes me incredibly sad. Yes. I can watch it like. I could watch it about once a decade, and I will only watch it again if it's like, you've never seen Schindler's List? All right, I will sit down and watch this movie with you because you need to see this movie. All right, movie. let's go in reverse. Kevin, what's your most underrated Spielbergs? My most underrated Spielbergs is a movie that I would not have seen had I not had children. In 2011, he came out with The Adventures of Tintin, oh, yeah. and this movie like got it. no love. This movie is charming yeah. as hell. Three hundred seventy-four million worldwide box office, by the way. Worldwide box office was good, but I mean, like people I, in America didn't like it. Though, people yeah. in America did not like it that much. Uh, Andy Serkis was cool in this movie. Uh, Daniel Craig makes everything better. Um, Dude, the Thompson and Thompson, the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Yes, <laughs> it was so good. There's so many things to like about this. This movie was just. It was charming, had a lot of heart. Um, the style that the movie was shot in. Or like the the animation style and everything was really unique. It was like a real life comic strip. Yeah, animated. It just yeah. it it really was. It was a very the movie was very alive, and you could really kind of uh, feel immersed in it. That's I enjoyed it a lot. To describe it Super alive. dope soundtrack too. Yes, um, I'm gonna throw that out there. Uh, Eric, what's your most underrated Spielberg's? By the way, Tintin on Netflix right now. My most underrated Spielberg's, and I feel bad for you, Nathan, because I feel like. Kevin and I are taking your two that you had in mind. Uh, I don't think you are. So far, Kevin missed it. I'm going Munich. Munich. All right. Munich, that's not where I was going. So. A lot of people. Munich. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not what it is, I'm Kevin. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, how dare <laughs> that you? That was really distracting. No, there's a, there's a lot of people who love this film, and rightfully so, but I don't feel like enough people talk about this movie. Eric Bana is awesome. Eric this Bana. This guy was the, the Hulk in the first Hulk movie, and that kind of robbed him of being the star he should have been. Yes. Uh, Eric Band is terrific in this movie. It's it's a based on a true story. It's treated with so much honesty and passion, uh, not only for the people uh, 
of of uh, the the Jewish people that were murdered in this movie, but also the toll it takes on the revenge, uh, the toll that revenge takes on a person. If I can speak English, uh, I just I think it's a fantastic film that not enough people, you know, they'll say something like, "Oh yeah, Munich, that's badass." But oh man, again, really tightly framed scenes that tell a story. It's like, in multiple stories. Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. And, like, the way that, like, they use, like, mood and everything. There are parts where there's no dialogue, and you can still feel the story being extended. The lighting in that movie is is what makes it so underrated, because it's darker. It, it's it's a dark movie, but the, the scenes are bright. But if you look how it's lit, like, I like doing photography and I like paying attention to lighting. It's lit very, very well. All right, you guys ready? Let's do I, don't, I don't think you saw this coming. So my uh, you say the crystal skull. Most, I'm walking out. My most, <laughs> my most underrated Spielberg's is um, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, Dakota Fanning. It is War of the Worlds, 2005. Oh, which oh all right. I think is a super super good movie. Um, it's the first movie that Spielberg made that had a lot of special effects in it. So um, he like computer based effects. Obviously, he's done movies with effects before that, but computer based <laughs> effects. And I thought ET he, wasn't a real alien. Damn it, you ruined my childhood. <laughs> uh, I thought that it was really good how well they um, blended practical effects with blue screen and uh, and uh, computer generated effects. It's this movie is way better than people think it is um the joke is that it made almost 600 million dollars so it, how can it really be underrated but um its ratings are not good well metacritic has a 73 it's 74 percent fresh on rotten tomatoes but i think this movie's really good and people should give it another chance um kiyoshi kurosawa said it's the best film of 2000 to 2009 okay so i mean i'm not alone in thinking that this movie is is good okay it's not just me take that world um, is that Akira Kosawa's uh, son? <laughs> the French film magazine Cahiers du Cinema ranked the film 8th best films of the 2000s. So internationally, this movie is really popular, in, even if it didn't ever take off in America. Well, this is another one of those ones where, if memory serves correct, it's been a long time since I saw this. This is another one where like, there's a central story thread running through the movie, but there's these kind of like side plots that are being cycled in. Right, like Tom Cruise is, is like in a strange relationship with his like ex-wife and his daughter and stuff, and yeah, there's he's like a longshoreman, and th- th- yeah, there's like all this. There's this human story, but there's it's also die hardest of all. But also, you know, the Mar- the Martians. They're not really yeah, the aliens Mars. invading. The aliens invade are invading in these big tripods and like destroying the Earth. And there's this strange like cultivated like red growth that's going across everything. Uh, it's called red weed in the movie. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I just think this movie's really good. Um, it's not as... I think it's kind of... People forgot about this movie. They just... They forgot about it. Uh, until you mentioned it, I forgot it was a Spielberg movie. I saw it on the list, and I... I actually had not seen the beginning of this movie. So, I should go back and watch it, Nathan. The ending is a little... It's... I think the ending is kind of weird. That, like, the ending a, has made me think, like... It's like oh, the end of... I like this. It's like the end of Signs, where, like, they're just like, Oh, and the aliens are gone. Because like in the in this movie they're like oh there's spoiler too, for a hundred year old book there's too many bacteria there's too many bacteria <laughs> in the atmosphere so they had to leave like that's the end of the movie and I don't know for some people that's gonna that's going to be an underwhelming ending for some people I'd say the only thing that's really cool about that is this was the first story to do it because it wasn't uh, this you know the, that's a remake don't forget like this is a movie from the forties fifties fifties which is based on a book from the uh, turn of the thank century you, thank you yeah. Which was all off of the radio show that scared the hell out of everyone, which is a great story. If you ever want to look it up, look up uh, War of the Worlds radio show. It's it's a really fun one. 
Yeah, so the, one of the all-time great the novel came out in 1898, mm-hmm. and then they made the radio show. 1930. I remember it was yeah, it was like a it was like 39, I think. It, it was, was like early. just before after the Great Depression. So anyway, for uh, for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronenbeck, I'm Nathan Santo. We'll see you next week, and um, shout out to Pete Carroll. I chewed gum this whole podcast. Sorry to people who listen on headphones.